Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves from 3CR Studios in Melbourne and via podcast. And thanks for the previous show, Out of the Pan, by Sally. Another fantastic show back in the studio in um, 2021. And I am very happy to be back. It has been about, what, 11 months since I've been in the studio. Um, big shout out to the staff here at 3CR who have been making it possible for us all to continue doing um, doing the radio show, putting things on, um, recording from home and, and sending it in and having them uh, put it up for the show every Sunday. That's been fantastic. So thanks so much to everyone here. And I'm just excited to be able to come into the studio, twist some knobs, push some buttons and flick some switches and speak to all of you folk out there. Um, I find it a much, uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a nicer feeling. Being, it's like a, it's a nice process to come into the studio and um, have a chat. Uh, and so I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm, I'm back. I'm excited. Um, but with that said, at the moment, with, you know, COVID still, still um, out there, it's still doing its thing, uh, we aren't having guests in the studio yet. So when I record in the studio, it'll just be me. And today, I actually thought that I would um, present something that I talked about um, last year. So I was invited to give a presentation on it for a seminar series called Thinking with Climate Change. And, you know, we're, oh, I'm all about animals. I'm all about, um, and Foz is all about animals. And I thought at this um, at this seminar, I could talk about thinking with climate change by thinking with animals. And in particular, how thinking with animals can actually get us further down the path of where we need to be in terms of climate change. And there's um, two particular ways that uh, thinking with animals can help us um, figure out the climate, climate crisis that we're in. And those two ways are, helps us clarify the problem. Um, So thinking with animals helps us recognise that climate is as big a problem as it really is. And it also helps us identify solutions. Um, And so I'll, I'll be chatting about that today. Um, And hopefully that's, that's not too much of a sort of a a spin-off from what we usually do here on the show. We usually have interviews, um, but for a little while, We'll be just betting in, doing some different things, trying out some new things. So this is a different format. I'll try today, and hopefully I can um, I can speak for the for the full full uh, hour. But I don't tend to have too much of a problem of, of just talking talking uh, to myself. Um, I don't know what that says about me, but um, anyway, here we go. So <laughs> if you're interested in, to, in in understanding what um, thinking with animals really means uh, for the climate climate problem. Um, I first want to sort of uh, preface it with a couple of things. First is thinking with animals really is an idea that I try to keep at the forefront whenever I'm whenever I'm sort of trying to um, tackle problems that involve animals, tackle problems that might be animal adjacent, and um, it, it helps me to think about what would the animal perspective be in this situation? Because a lot of the time when we're talking about climate or we're talking about the environment or we're talking about food or we're talking about whatever it is, we take a very human perspective. We, we think about, okay, well, what's it mean for me? What's it mean for other people? All of that sort of jazz. But we don't often stop to think, 
what does it mean for the pig who is in the sow stall? What does it mean for the dog who is in the pound? What does it mean for the koala whose tree has just burnt down? What does it mean from their perspective? How are they sort of experiencing the world? How are they understanding the world from their perspective? And while I, you know, I'm a I'm a scientist, so I don't I don't want to um I don't I'm not advocating for full on anthropomorphizing of animals. We can't necessarily know exactly what an animal is thinking or feeling, um, but I'm also a strong advocate for um, not not going down the other line, which is anthropo denial, which is denying animals um, feelings and thoughts and emotions and 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 experience of the world just because we can't necessarily ask them what they're feeling and they can't tell us um, in language. But you know, through observation and other ways, we and and you know, understanding of evolution, um, we can we can sort of surmise that animals, and certainly animals that are um, sort of close to us in terms of taxonomy, uh, you know, other mammals and things, there are probably things that we share in terms of of um, feelings, emotions, connections, sociality, all of these sorts of things, and certainly. All animals will have an interest in the basic um, basic needs of life, uh, you know, access to habitat and housing in in that in those terms, access to food and water, um, and you know, some sort of uh, this idea of of having some sort of autom- autonomy um, is one that I really um, like to like to think on. What would what would an animal want from its life? Um, and it's with that question in the back of my mind or the, you know, the forefront of my mind, I ask, how does thinking with animals help us tackle the climate issue? And we first need to understand that this is a hard thing for lots of people to do. Um, and many often when you start to, you, you know, you start a conversation like this, people will... Um, will sort of push back against the idea of thinking with animals. Even, you know, just then I, I sort of started that with, you know, let's not anthropomorphize. This is a, a, a reaction that many people have automatically um, because in our society we often deny animals um, a position um, of of moral thought or, or, or a place where we think about them in these terms. And there's real structural reasons for why we do that within our society. You know, we tend to have um, an understanding of the world from a very anthropocentric position. You know, that's, that means anthropocentrism means that we think about the world from a very human-centric um, way we think about what what it means for humans. Um, we think about things um, in a in how humans might understand the world, um, and we think about how things might favour human interests. So, you know, when we're thinking about climate, a lot of the framing of climate is about what does it mean for humans. What does it mean for our food production? Okay, we've got to think about climate because it's going to be bad for future human generations. And we, the, the conversation is stuck in this sort of discussion about what it means for humans. And we, we struggle to get away from that. And that's because, you know, most people mostly care about care about humans um, when push comes to shove, I suppose. Um, although that doesn't mean that people don't care about animals. Uh, it's just that humans tend to take the top priority and we tend to think from a human perspective. So um, and when you're, when you're next talking about a, a, or having a conversation about climate, have a like critically sort of um, assess the, the the conversation you're having, and think about how much of it centres on a human experience of the world and human interests. Um, and I imagine you'll probably find that it's it's very strongly human centric. 
So, you know, that's one reason we don't like to think with animals. We think just about humans. The other reason is speciesism. And, you know, speciesism is a concept that we come across a lot on Freedom of Species. And it, it basically is just a preferential consideration for um, a species based on their species membership. You know, so it means that we think certain species are more important or more morally valuable um, than others, just simply because they are of that species. And the most classic uh, version of that is speciesism with humans at the top. You know, humans are intrinsically more valuable, uh, more important and more morally considerable than any other species. And, you know, this, this comes out like everywhere in our society. Um, and it just means that most people think that um, humans are more important than other animals. This is, this is part of the reason that we think we, it's okay to, to kill others for food. Well, that's because, you know, I'm more important than the pig, so I'm allowed to. Um, uh, my value is higher my moral status is higher and they have less moral status. And because of my position of power, I can do what I want to them. So speciesism really denies other species consideration. These two things in, in concert, anthropocentrism and speciesism, make it really hard for us to think with animals. So if you're out there and... Um, and you're sort of having a conversation or you're just pondering these ideas, um, reflect on your own, your own understanding of animals' position and animals' perspective in the climate debate or, you know, other, other conversations, you know, around food, around um, entertainment, around science, where animals are used. What would the animal perspective be for their use in those situations? And... Have you thought about that before and why haven't you? Anyway, that's one thing. We are often anthropocentric and speciesist, so it stops us really considering animals when it comes to the climate debate. And, you know, I mean deeply considering when I make that, that claim um, because, you know, we often use, you know, and there's lots of NGOs and organisations who talk about animals. They're like, oh, this species is going extinct. We need to um, do something for climate. But... It's, it's usually just a um, tokenistic use of animals and animal imagery, um, often cute animals, uh, to get people to sympathise, but it doesn't often go beyond that. And I, I'm suggesting that if we do go beyond that, if we really consider the animal perspective within the climate um, situation then it might um, make us reconsider where we're at at the moment and maybe try a little harder. So another reason, just before we get into those arguments about how thinking with animals helps us on the climate, climate issue, the climate crisis, I want to discuss uh, another sort of issue that stops us thinking with animals. And I'm, I'm discussing these things as a preface to... Um, like I think that without recognising our own biases towards humans and against animals, we're unlikely to um, really think with animals. So another, another issue that um, comes up a lot, and I think it was played last week, uh, the, the episode that I recorded with, um, with researcher, psycho psychologist um, Frank Rothgerber, um, who developed a framework called meat-related cognitive dissonance where they identified 13 different mechanisms that we use to get rid of this cognitive dissonance we have when um, presented with a trigger for meat-related cognitive dissonance. And what it is is that um, there's, this, uh, there's this sort of issue where people hold two positions in the world, two beliefs that are simultaneously um, sort of contradictory, um, but they hold them both to be true. And this is best explained with the meat paradox, I suppose, with animals. Um, so it's the idea that, oh, I love pigs, but I eat them too. Or I love animals, but I eat them too. And then we start making all these reasons why it's okay to um, eat animals, 
but we still, you know, we're still good people. We're still good people. We're not, we don't want to necessarily harm them. We, we are harming them. We are doing bad things to them, but I still love them. And, you know, I'm not a bad person because of that, even though I am hurting these animals. So this, this meat related cognitive dissonance, which at the moment is best described within food consumption, I think could probably be extended beyond that um, to other forms of animal use. And it basically means as soon as we're confronted with an idea that um, doesn't jive with our understanding of ourselves, of ourselves as moral individuals or ethical individuals, then we push back against it um, in many different ways. So, for instance, maybe you're listening to this and and your meat-related cognitive dissonance is triggered because you're like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I, I sort of get what you mean, I, I, but I still eat meat because. Well, that when you go because, that's part of this framework, this cognitive framework that's developed to help protect you against this uncomfortable truth, which is that your beliefs and behaviours do not align. You know, you love um, animals, beliefs, but your behaviour is to hurt them through eating them um, or through using them in entertainment or through um, not considering them particularly well when we're uh, up against a climate crisis and there's masses of them dying every every day. Um, so there's ways that this, this meat-related cognitive dissonance works. Um, so we get triggered for meat-related cognitive dissonance and then if we're lucky, we can block it and we, we um, just avoid it. We're like, oh, yeah, 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 no, no, I don't want to talk about it. Or you just look away. You know, it's, a, it's the old thing where you you see something horrific about um, pigs being gassed by CO two or something, and you're like, oh, I don't want to know that. I still want to be able to eat um, pig flesh or bacon. So you you avoid it, and then you you just totally sort of skip past the cognitive dissonance, and you skip past the problem that is present within your your um, cognitions and behaviours around animals. If you can't skip it, then you'll experience it. But then there's a whole bunch of these other um, dissonance sort of uh, dissonance reducing mechanisms that that help you sort of squash that feeling of dissonance, that uncomfortable feeling in your brain, and that that that's like excuses going saying things like, "Yeah, yeah, I know, I eat I eat meat, and that's bad for the animal," but but it's natural or it's nice. You know, I've got to do it because it's just the way it's always been done or it's more healthy or um, these animals, they don't really feel, they're not really um, important or it's actually someone else's fault. It's not my fault. It's because the system's built that way. I just need to eat meat because that's the most um, reasonable thing to do. All these sorts of things are excuses, again, to... Um, deal with that uncomfortable feeling that you might have around um, eating animals uh, because your beliefs around animals and caring for them and and loving them do not align with the reality of your behaviours. So we've got these three systems or these, they, and they, these, these aren't all of them, but anthropocentrism, speciesism, and meat-related cognitive dissonance really work together on a you know societal level and at an individual level to avoid us really considering animals they they make us not want to get into the skin of an animal and therefore see their perspective or try to try to understand as as little or as much as we can about the perspective of these other individuals these things Stop us, I, I contend, um, from really uh, using and, and being able to think with animals. And I think that if we, if we can push back through that, if we can sort of get past those issues and start to think with animals, then we... And, and thinking with animals really means they become a really important um, source of motivation in our lives um, and a really important uh, they they place like we have very strong moral obligations towards other animals if we start to um, think with them <coughs> oh sorry and 
I'll talk about what thinking with animals, you know, those two points I mentioned earlier, how it helps us clarify the problem of climate change and the climate crisis and how it helps us identify solutions. But before I do that, we're going to go to a song. And this is Silvira by Gojira. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. In DigiChu, people place language. Connecting stories, culture and language across Australia. Contribute your content in digitube.com.au. Sign up for a free account and select your options for streaming, download and broadcast promotion. 
a 3CR supporter. And you're listening to Freedom of Species here on 3CR, 855 Community Radio, or you can get us on podcast online and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, We today, you know, we're back in the studio, happy to be back. Uh, Thanks for having us back. Um, And no guests, but I have been talking about this idea of thinking with animals in relation to the climate crisis. And I've just finish up discussing why it's hard for us to often think with animals, think about animals, think from the perspective of the animals. And that um, is because of anthropocentrism, speciesism, and um, this idea of meat-related cognitive dissonance, which all sort of turn us away from thinking with animals. It all makes it harder to think with animals. Um, and these, these concepts, these ideas that I just, um, just mentioned, they're very persu- uh, pervasive across society. Um, The vast majority of society will have these uh, embedded assumptions and biases within their own thinking, uh, me included, and likely yourself too. Um, But I mentioned those just to preface why it's hard and why we don't often think with animals. But now I want to talk about how thinking with animals can actually be really important and I think is, is vital for us to tackle the climate problem. And the first reason is because it helps us clarify the problem. I'm not sure about you, but, you know, I've been sort of doing things around the climate change issue for a decade or um, maybe a bit more, but definitely the last decade. And, you know, for, for, for that long and much longer, it's always been something that we can put off. You know, humans are great at manipulating our environments. So even though things are getting hotter, we can turn up the aircon, or we can do something to, you know, uh, quote mitigate, um, mitigate things, uh, but not really address the problem because we're adapting to this heating world. We're adapting to this changing environment. We're adapting to more bushfires, more floods, more cyclones, all of these sort of big um, scary things that are only going to become more um, common and more dangerous. Um, but we we have the ability to adapt. So it doesn't seem like it impacts us directly right now. And the climate issue feels like it's something that's in the future. I'm not sure if you've experienced that or you've had that conversation with people, but certainly I have where they're like, oh, you know, but we've got time. It used to be that we have a um, carbon budget. Well, there's no carbon budget. We can't be burning any more fossil fuels. We can't do that. We need to be like negative emissions five years ago if we're going to create a safe climate. And this is what I think thinking with animals helps us understand. If we really cared about animals and we really um, sort of put ourselves in their perspective and understood that the climate emergency is now for so many millions and billions of animals, you know, they don't have the opportunity to push away this emergency. They don't have the opportunity to, um, many of them, adapt to this crisis. You know, we've already had in Australia, in Australian territory, whatever that is, um, we've already had the first climate-induced extinction of a mammal that we know of, the Bramble K. Melamus, in in June 2016, um, was was recorded or reported as extinct because of... um, Climate change, most likely due to climate change and anthropogenic climate change at that. So for the Bramble K. Melimus, their, their world, their, their, their universe, they're gone. They're no longer coming back. For them, the climate emergency was 30 years ago, you know? For the coral reefs, the global coral reefs, which we are set to lose, I think it's 95% of um, global coral reefs by 2040 or something like that, around then. So in, in the 2030s, we are going to be losing lots and lots of coral reefs. You are very likely going to be alive to see the death of the vast majority of the world's coral reefs, one of the most productive ecosystems in the world, you know. For the coral reefs, the, the climate emergency is now. It can't be pushed back. For all the species and the individuals that rely on those places as, as habitat and as their homes, the emergency is right with us. It, 
it it's not something we can just ignore. Um, and if we take their perspective, that becomes very, very clear. Other examples of this, there are, um, you know, there's, we've talked about this a couple of years ago on the show when this research came out, but um, the, it's estimated that 47% of terrestrial um, thre- threatened mammals or, um, and 23% of threatened bird species may have already been negatively impacted by climate change, you know? Um, and for them, climate change is real. It's not something that they can ignore or they can push away. When we sit within the experience of um, the pygmy possum, who up in the uh, Kosciuszko uh, National Park, I'm pretty sure, the, the, the increase in melts or not having the ice um, or the, the snow cover for a long, as long a period of time is really impacting their life history, their life cycle. And it's dangerous for them. It's bad for them. What happens when those snows um, go forever? Uh, it might be, you know, goodbye to pygmy possums. This, is, this stuff is real for a large, large number of animals that we are living with. Um, yeah. It's scary. It's really sad to think about. Another, another perspective, um, another animal perspective is... I'm not sure if if you live in Melbourne, if you're listening to this live um, and you do live in Melbourne, then you would know of the flying foxes that we have around here. We're very lucky to share, you know, although we do a lot of horrible things to flying foxes, we're very lucky to share um, our, to share a, a habitat with them. You know, our habitat and their habitat uh, coexist and they live with us. There's a, there's a big camp on Yarra Bend. If you've never been there, go check them out. They're, they're gorgeous and, and lovely, lovely individuals. Don't try, try not to disturb them. But, um, but flying foxes and other, um, yeah, lots of different fly, species of flying fox are really, uh, really prone to heat stroke. So it gets to about, I think, 43 degrees. If you're at 43 degrees and you're a flying fox, um, it's really dangerous for you. So in 2017, I think it was, there's a spectacled flying fox up in Queensland, certain um, species of flying fox. And in two days, 23,000 spectacled flying foxes uh, died from heat, heat stress because of, because of anthropogenic climate change. That's one third of the global population of this species dead. 23,000 individuals in two days. You know, we, we, at the moment, we have, in America, for instance, 4,000 people at the moment, I think, dying a day from COVID, and that is absolutely tragic, absolutely horrific. We recognize that is absolutely terrifying and horrific. In two days in um, Australia, a couple of years ago, we had, you know, 11,000 11, flying foxes dead in a day, each day for two days killing a third of the global population. The climate crisis is now for animals. From an animal perspective, imagine being these flying foxes. You can't control the weather. It's very hard to get away from these heat, um, heat events because you live in trees and you're prone to the environment around you. What do you do as a flying fox? There's not much you can. You just have to weather it and, and it's very dangerous. And these heat events are going, going to become more common. And it's, it's really scary. So thinking with the flying fox, we recognise that we are at a very dangerous and serious position already. We were three, four years ago. And before that, it's only getting more dangerous for them. So thinking with animals helps us understand that the crisis is now. And the final, final sort of, or one of the final um, examples of this, of how it, how it sort of, how thinking with animals helps us understand the crisis is now, not push it off, not push it into the future, is a year ago, we found out that up to 3 billion animals were killed and impacted by bushfires on the east coast of Australia. That's 3 billion individuals who may have died from burns, 
um, smoke inhalation, uh, heat stress, or starvation after the fact. That's 3 billion individuals who died because of, you know, induced fire, fire, heightened fire impact um, induced from climate change. Um, it's probably it's probably pretty comfortable, I'm comfortable to say. Um, and from their perspective, climate change is very, very real. Very, very real. And the emergency is now. The emergency was last year. And the emergency continues to happen every single day. So when I talk about thinking with animals helps us think with climate change. I really, I really hope that people can start to take the perspective of non-human animals to think about how climate change is impacting the world and what it means for those other individuals within our multi-species communities, within our multi-species world. You know, what does it mean, not just for humans, but what does it mean for those other animals that are already like existentially threatened by climate change, not in 20 years, not in 50 years, not in 100 years, but five years ago. And that's where, so, you know, I've talked about why it's hard for us to think with animals, you know, anthropocentrism, speciesism, and meat-related cognitive dissonance, which, you know, expands out more than just eating animals. But and I've also now now we've sort of I've discussed the argument of how thinking with animals really makes the reality of um, the climate emergency quite stark compared to what I think most people we go through our day and we intellectually understand that the climate crisis is upon us, but does it really mean as much as it could? And for most of us, I think that 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 it doesn't. Do we really? Um, do we connect with that idea of climate crisis on an emotional and visceral level? Um, uh, probably not. But I, I wonder whether through thinking with animals, thinking with the most vulnerable within our societies, would help us really get a sense of that urgency that for many um, individuals in our communities, the climate crisis is urgent right now. You know? And... This sort of highlights some stuff that's been talked about on the show before that I've talked about on the show with, with guests before is 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is the current um, you know, goal that we're going for, is not safe. We're not there yet. We're at like 1.2, I think, um, at the moment, degrees Celsius rise in temperature, global temperatures. And we're already, for, for, the majority, for a large number of animals, it is already means their end. 1.5 is going to be horrendous for billions of animals. It's, it's just not, it's not tenable, you know. Um, zero emissions is not enough. Zero emissions, we're not even there yet. And if we, if we, even if we get there, animals, billions and billions and billions of animals are, are still going to be um, threatened and under severe um, climate threat. And we require an emergency response to address these things. If the things that are happening to other animals, and the, from the perspective of other animals, was happening to humans en masse at the moment, we'd probably be doing a lot more to address it. Look at the pandemic response that we've been able to man, mount because everyone, every human on Earth was, was at threat, or the vast majority of us are. We, we changed things very, very quickly, or we, we adapted very quickly, at least in Australia we have. I mean, other countries, you can argue the, the toss, but people are taking it seriously at this point, I think. Um, we're not doing that with climate. And it's because it's not really threatening us right now, but it is threatening a huge, huge billions and billions and billions of animals out there. And if we can think with them, think from their perspective maybe we can, we can understand the severity a little bit more and maybe it'll motivate us to do something. On that point, I will go to another song. Uh, this is three, uh, 3CR, Freedom of Species here, chatting all things animals, as we like to do, and just about to jump on a song, Never Get Caught 
by Mutiny. A determined community campaign over five years won the ban on fracking and a moratorium on onshore gas drilling for Victoria. It was a great victory for grassroots people power, but now the Victorian government has decided to lift the moratorium on onshore drilling, even though its own report admits it won't bring down gas prices. Even worse, they want to open up the west coast of the state to offshore gas drilling. It's essential we stand up now and make it clear that the time for new fossil fuels is over. Join the campaign by checking the Friends of the Earth website at www.melbournefo.org.au gas. Friends of the Earth is a 3CR supporter. CR is a community radio license holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music, programs for children, and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. 
They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this station. Copies of the code are available from the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are. And you're listening to Freedom of Species here on 3CR 855 AM if you're tuning in via radio and you can... Maybe listening to us on podcast. You find us on podcast either at the Three CR website or anywhere that you get your uh, your podcasts. And we love talking about animals here. That's what we do. Freedom of species, all about animals. Um, and today, back in the studio, first time in about a year, um, I've been talking to myself and to you folks. No guests in the studio at the moment. Hopefully, that'll change soon. Maybe over the next couple of weeks. Um, we may get some guests back in, but uh, we're just playing it by ear at the moment. And today I've been talking about how thinking with animals can help us really uh, think about the climate crisis we are living within uh, more seriously and take it more seriously and maybe act more seriously about it. Um, and so I've discussed about why we don't often think with animals, you know, anthropocentrism, speciesism, and meat-related cognitive dissonance. And if you're interested in that idea of meat-related cognitive dissonance, check out last week's show or or um, look up Frank Rothgerber, Dr. Frank Rothgerber, who is a psychologist and has um, developed a fantastic framework about that. We discussed that on a previous show. Um so these mechanisms and, and biases and assumptions that are embedded within our society, embedded within our culture globally, really, um, stop us from really thinking deeply with animals, thinking, thinking about them or from their perspective. Uh, that, that then stops us from seeing from their perspective that the climate emergency is absolutely life-threatening today, yesterday, five years ago, let alone into the future. You know, we humans, we can push push back the idea, push back the threat, push it into the future because we're not going to die tomorrow necessarily. Well, most of us probably aren't. Many, many of us will. Um, you know, th- climate does, climate change does um, threaten lives, human lives. It's just not as obvious. Um, so, but I, I contend that by thinking with animals and thinking from the perspective of these animals that are under threat, billions of them, that we start to take climate crisis more seriously and that's that's the first thing that thinking with animals does helps us clarify the problem helps us take the threat seriously recognize it's uh it's here yesterday and the second point which i'll discuss for the rest of the show is that it helps us identify solutions so the thing about denying animals or denying thinking with animals or not really seeing the perspective of animals is that we don't see the opportunities um, that might be available from our uses of animals in terms of the climate crisis. And we've discussed this on the show, um, you know, from when people push back against the idea of transitioning to a a plant-based, a plant-based agricultural system, which would be much better for for the environment, much better for climate change. People push back against that because of this meat-related cognitive dissonance stuff. They like to eat animals, so we should be able to do that. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about the um, the environmental impacts of it. It's all part of the same the same issue. But if we think with animals, we can highlight opportunities to act. So the first the first really point on this is that we are living within what some people call the Anthropocene, you know, the geological period. This is a, you know, we will be able to see it in the geological record um, during which human activity has been the dominant influence on climate and the environment. And when we look at this from an animal perspective or from statistics around animals, this is absolutely clear. A 2018 paper um, by Yinon et al., um, showed that the biomass, the global biomass of um, mammals, terrestrial mammals, so that's uh, like, yeah, humans and kangaroos and cows, um, the global biomass of animals, wild wild mammals makes up 4% of global biomass. Humans 
make up 36% of global biomass. And farmed animals, those animals that we want to eat or use their products, make up 60% of the global number of the global biomass of mammals. I mean, that's just stark. <laughs> and no wonder that they're contributing so much, that our, our use of them contributes so much to climate when they make up 60% of the mammals on Earth. It's, it's, it's yeah, I, it just boggles my mind, actually. For birds, for bird species or bird biomass, um, wild birds make up 30% of global biomass and farmed birds, chickens, ducks, goose, you know, Whatever, 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 whichever type of um, bird you might be, make up 70% of global biomass of those birds, of birds. So of all the birds there are, um, the weight of them, 70% of that is made up by farmed animals, which just speaks to how much we have changed the world um, from an animal perspective, how we have engineered a world that suits us that basically feeds into us, quite literally, um, where you know, 60% of mammals on this earth are solely there to go into our mouths or onto our backs. Wild, absolutely wild. Another statistic that sort of thinking with animals helps us um, understand the climate issue is that 83% of all agricultural land um, is used for animal production, for producing animals that we eat. 83% of agricultural land across the world, terrestrial land. And that's 37% of Earth's ice and desert-free land, or 37% of, of terrestrial land is on Earth is ice and desert-free. So 75% of all agricultural land um, yeah, is dedicated to animal agriculture. Actually, yeah, so let me get these. I've got two numbers that are a little bit off. Um, that, but that, that, so from a poor and Nemechek, um, which is sort of this really great paper in Nature, I believe, um, maybe science, uh, in 2018, 83% of all ag land um, was dedicated to farm animals. Um, oh, sorry. No, no, no. I'm getting it wrong. Sorry, eighty-three percent of all land, all all um, oh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm I'm getting myself confused. Okay, I'll go to the the numbers that I've got on the bottom of the screen, which is seventy-five percent of all agricultural land is dedicated to animal agriculture, which is about twenty-eight percent of the total land surface of Earth, surface of Earth, which is crazy. It's massive that. When we use animals, we're using so much of the land and so much of the Earth's resources and, um, uh, to, to grow them for us. And that's what's contributing to climate change. And if we just sort of stop doing that, things are going to be a lot better for both um, the environment, for other animals, and for the animals that are being used for, far, for farmed animals, for um, their flesh. And the other perspective that's really important to understand, lots of people will say, yeah, but don't we need animals to survive? You know, we eat them, they make an important contribution to our food intake. Well, it's just not, not true. Um, so the contribution of farmed animal products, uh, again, the poor Nemechek paper, um, the contribution of farmed animal products into the total number of calories that we consume is only 18%. So even though we are using 80% of farmland for livestock or for farmed animals, it only produces 18% of food calories and 37% of protein. So it's a really um, bad conversion of the resources that we use. Um, and it's a massive contributor to... Greenhouse gas emissions, you know, 14% of global emissions are um, caused by animal agriculture. And then when you add into that opportunity costs, so the land that is being used, that could otherwise be used for drawdown or other things, um, getting rid of 
animal agriculture could reduce anthropocentric greenhouse gas emissions by 28%. Um, I mean, it's very clear when we start to look at animals and we think about animals uh, and their role, the role that they're forced, you know, they it's not even their role, they are forced by us to be these production machines and through that they um, we are causing huge amounts of issues for the environment, both through greenhouse gas emissions, land use, resource use. Um, and if we shift to a plant-based agricultural system, we have lots of opportunities to reduce the impacts of on, on the environment and tackle climate change, you know, tackle some of the biggest contributors to the climate issue. Um. Yeah, it's uh it's it's stark. It's stark. And we've seen this conversation playing out in the you know climate activist and advocacy movement over the last um decade at least. It's been really sort of prominent. It's, it was happening earlier than that as well, you know, for for at least 20 years. Um but there's been this real real schism between um environmentalists who are or climate climate advocates and activists who are trying to tackle climate change through fossil fuel stuff and we absolutely need to do that and it's vital it's um, the biggest contributor of greenhouse gas emissions um but sort of ignoring the animal perspective or the animal or they're not thinking about animals when they're doing that and as i said i think a lot of that comes from positions of anthropocentrism speciesism and meat-related cognitive dissonance it's too uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about or to think about because then they they need to change themselves and they've got these ideas about who they are it's part of their identity um and it's it's really hard but a shift to a plant-based diet um uh, can reduce your dietary emissions by up to 60%, you know? Um, and that's a that's a paper by Scarborough et al. 2014. There's been some things more recently about that. And it sort of, it sort of moves and shifts um, depending on where you are in the world and the types of food you're eating in, in a plant-based diet. Um, and that's, that's a fully vegan diet, I must, I must say, not just um, sort of plant-heavy diet. Uh, but in all of the... Um, research that I've looked into at the moment, working on a paper on this, um, the vast majority, I think it's like 99% of, of papers of research shows that a vegan diet is almost always better for the environment in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, land use, and several other metrics than um, any other diet that we've looked at. So it makes sense. Think about animals in terms of the um, transition to a just climate, uh, the transition to a world that is safe, a safe climate, um, we need to be thinking with animals. We can't just have them be... There's this really great um, film filmed a few years ago uh, by Joanne McCarthy, I think McCarthy, I think it is, MacArthur, I think it is. Uh, on Check out the website We Animals and the film was The Ghosts ghosts in in the machine and it talks about it just has animals they're just they're they're there they're like almost in every aspect of our society but they're hidden they're ghosts within this mammoth machine of the industrial animal complex that um, utilizes animals in a variety of industries in a variety of ways but we don't think about them they're invisible because we make them invisible because it's uncomfortable to think about them. Um, but once we do think about them, I think we can tackle issues like climate change much more uh, readily, much more um, successfully. And I would challenge you to think with animals. The next time you are, I don't know, about to you know chew into the burger, have a think about the animal perspective. Um, have a think about the animal perspective in terms of those who are impacted by the climate emissions from the cow that you're eating and the cow itself who's being um, forced to to be eaten. Um, yeah. The animal perspective is a powerful tool, I think, and I'd encourage everyone to try it out. So thanks for listening, folks. Thanks. For, it's like a, I feel like a, I've just given a massive monologue and I'm ready to stop um, 
to be honest. And you might be sick of my voice by now. But uh, thanks for listening. This was uh, Freedom of Species. If you've got any feedback, give us an email at info at freedomofspecies.org or on Facebook or Twitter. Get on in touch with us at fos.radio, uh, F-O-S, radio. Um, shows on every 1 to 2 p.m. on Sundays. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.